Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. Two hundred episodes already. Thank you. Thank you for your support, your encouragement, and your feedback. This podcast is a selection of just some of the moments from the journey so far, a mix of athletes from both the Legend Series, the Weekly Wodge, and the Blast. We got premiership winners, Clive Churchill medalists, origin players, origin captains, kangaroos, and even an immortal. Enjoy. We're going to start our journey with a couple of good mates giving it to each other. Here's Ricky Stewart and Craig Bellamy, unfiltered. On behalf of the fans, we get great enjoyment out of watching your blow-ups in the coach's box, but so too do others, your rivals. We interviewed your very good mate Ricky Stewart on episode four, and he had this to say. Do you get a giggle out of seeing other coaches blow up? I know Craig Bellamy's a great mate of yours, it still makes me laugh. It just never gets old. He's worse than me. He is a dickhead in the box, mate. Honestly. He could be up by 18 and he's going off his head. And, and I, I sit back and laugh and laugh and laugh at him. And then I sit back and I think, Jesus Christ, the bigger they're all sitting back laughing at me. Oh, with mates like that, who needs enemies? <laughs> but uh, Exactly, exactly. The one thing I will, I, I will you know, I, I don't usually retort or re- return... Um, you know, I suppose slander from um, from Rick because he's he's a lot smarter than me at that because he's he does it to a lot more people and he does it a lot more often. Yeah. But the one thing I have never been guilty of is throwing a full bottle of water <laughs> at, at one of our supporters. Like I don't <laughs> understand. At I can understand the opposition supporters, but hey, Rick, mate, they go throwing stones at me if you're throwing water bottles at your own fans, mate. Ricky Stewart, Episode 4, Craig Bellamy, Episodes 27-28, their Legends Series interviews, next level. Let's move to Episode 181 and 182, another Legends Series interview, this time with the Eels, Blues and Kangaroo legend and dual international Mr Perpetual Motion, Ray Price. I think we can agree respectfully, you had that mongrel in you and used it to become the very best that you could be. How did the great Mick Cronin do it? The nicest man in the world, doesn't have a nasty or aggressive bone in his body. Why was Mick so good? Hey, he got sent off. For punching? Yes. yes. Uh, Teddy Goodwin it was. Punching, t- fighting Teddy Goodwin. Is that at Cumberland Oval? Yeah, yeah. Lord Ted and Mick Cronin. There, there yeah. is two of the nice I mean, look, Crow's a lovely man. He takes a stride that far. <laughs> it wouldn't even be a foot. That's how he, he, he just runs pigeon toes. Like, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, the the is no one I've never seen anyone put him down one on one. Amazingly strong. Oh, isn't it? That's all those kegs he picks up. Yeah, yeah. But nah, uh, look, I, I, I keep saying I've been privileged because I've been touched in in every side that I played in. Mm. I've been touched with a great side. And, mate, the best side was the uh, Parramatta one, but the second best side was uh, the rugby union one, the Australian rugby union one. And, mate, it, 
it it just it's great. Yeah. Ray Price was dual code international number 38, representing Australia in both rugby league and rugby union. Dual code international number 39 was this guy, the ever so classy Michael O'Connor. The 1986 Kangaroo Tour, the unbeatables. Only Terry Lamb played more games than you, and that was just to keep him out of the pubs. <laughs> What's your fondest tour uh, memory? Mick, um, three tries at Old Trafford in Test 1, or is there a tour highlight that's away from the field? Oh, look, I'll have to keep it on the straight and narrow and say that... No, re- seriously, that first Test match uh, at Old Trafford, I've never... I don't think i ever felt an electric a- atmosphere like it. The, the singing, and yeah. it was packed to the rafters, uh, Old Trafford. And uh, there was a genuine belief that they could beat us. Mm. Uh, they had a good team, like, you know, your Ellery Hanleys. This was a, uh, a side that was prepared, really prepared to, mm. to, to beat us. And if ever we were going to uh, lose, it was that first test match. And um, just the excitement and the adrenaline that I had uh, and, and to score three tries uh, was unbelievable. Mm. And then just the noise. And, the, and they were appreciative too. Like, they were a good crowd. Um, the singing and uh, – but we put on a masterclass. Like, you know, the back line was Sterling, Lewis, Meninga. Uh, sorry, uh, Miles, Gene Miles, Brett Kenny, myself. Like, Mal couldn't get into the side. No, no, he was on the bench. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that just shows you the, the, the depth that we had. And uh, so I don't think I've ever been so uh, excited about playing and enjoyed a game of, of football as much as that one because uh, – and it was a great relief to beat him. Mick O'Connor, episodes 164 and 165. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, Galaxy Finance. Sponsors and personal friends that I trust, that I trust enough to go to with questions about my own finances. That's not a sales pitch, that's fact. Any questions, any queries, they have the solutions from home loan lending to complete financial planning. With official interest rates at an all-time low, the lenders want your business. With Galaxy Finance, they'll do all the work for you and find the best possible deal. They'll do it all. Get in contact, ask for Leanne, and mention Unfiltered for a free chat. A free chat. No obligations. A free chat just by mentioning Unfiltered. Galaxyfinance.com.au is where you can find them. Legends from the past, superstars of the present too, including this guy, Rabideau, Blue and Kangaroo, Damien Cook. Okay, half back on one side of the ruck, he wants the ball. Five-eighth on the other side of the ruck, he wants the ball. They're both carrying on and screaming their tits off. Who gets it? Damien Cook has dropped in. Mate, who wins the argument, Adam Reynolds or Cody Walker? Mate, they're, they're two of the worst too. With an angry man on one side and a silk on the other, so um, and they're both both very dominant players when yeah. they want the ball. Um, uh, Reno Reno will tell you that uh, I pass to to Cody more, and I go a lot. I go to him a lot more. Um, so, but it's not. We've actually checked the stats, and it's very quite even. If not, Adam Adam gets the ball a bit more. So, um, look, it's uh, it's very hard, but it depends. Um, what tackle it is these days. I think, you know, if it, late in the tackle count, uh, I'm probably, uh, unless it's we're looking down short sides, uh, you'll be Cody to take that. But 
Uh, you know, later in the tackle count, more likely I think Renault's going to get it because you know he's probably the, uh, the the better kicker out of the two. Uh, I think Cody will agree with that. Uh, so I, I think that's where it happens. But early in uh, early in the tackle count, uh, anywhere on the field, Cody normally I wouldn't say runs the attack, but um, you know he's, he does. Uh, yeah, it does organise a bit of the shape and allows Renault to work over with the forwards in the middle of the field. So uh, it's, it's 50-50. And you know what, mate? I'm, I'm in trouble whichever way I go. So I was just going to say I- that. If, if they're both calling and it's up to you to make the decision, who cops the blame from, from Wayne Bennett? Is, is it always the hooker's fault for going the wrong way? Well, it depends who's got to Wayne first. to <laughs> wind about me. <laughs> whoever wins whoever wins the race to Wayne say oh Damon Cookie's not giving me the ball um, I don't know but Wayne's Wayne's into me um, I don't know if Wayne's ever been a fan of uh, hookers or not so uh, he's always loved his halfbacks and I blame Alfie Langer for that so um, but you know I think he, he, he does tell me Wayne uh, you know if they do call the ball uh, to just um, obviously give it to him straight away don't run don't do anything else. Just give it to them straight away. Uh, probably a big part of it is I probably just have to, uh, I have to look up, make sure I'm looking up and uh, know where Latrell, Latrell is. That's important. Uh, and a number as well. So if I can have enough time to count the short side and uh, know what numbers we've got, it's, it's an easy decision. The other guy's just going to have to put up with it. Um, and he'll just have a sook to me later, I think. Awesome insight. Thanks, Cookie. Chat soon. No worries. Cheers, mate. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're a regular, welcome back. All of our interviews are timeless. It doesn't matter if you missed an episode at the time it was released. doesn't matter at all. It won't date. It'll make sense. It's ready to go when you're ready. Check out our library. You won't want to miss a belter like this one. All the way back to episode one with the Raging Bull Gordon Tallis. I get nervous around three guys in my life, and I've met a lot of people. One's Wally Lewis, the other was Greg Norman and Jimmy Barnes. They're the only three people wow. that I've that I've felt nervous. Um, and to have Wally, your coach, and then I'm playing with Alan Langer, and I just remember, you know, the week being unbelievable. And you get to the MCG, and it was June four uh, or June six in 1994, and I know it was eighty two thousand people, or whatever there, and um, you know, you go on, and I just remember just before Wally's given the speech and I'm thinking, I'm playing for Queensland, Alfie Langer, who was our best player at the time, just yeah. started spewing. And he starts spewing and I'm thinking, does he know something I don't know? <laughs> <laughs> like I thought I had the greatest week of my life. I'm having, mate, I've got free food all week. I'm in a good bed. Mate, I was playing I think on $9,000 like at the Dragons uh, yeah. and you get like three grand for the whole week to play Origin oh, or whatever. So I was, yeah. mate, so I was balling then. Like yeah. I was rolling. Mate, I was Floyd Mayweather then. I was, <laughs> I was money tellers. And then, and then um, yeah, and then all that happens and then Alf, when it comes time to switch it on, he just starts spewing. And I realised that Alf, that he got that nervous before mm. games and it was every game. Yeah. But he kept on spewing and I sort of looked at him and thought, I'm not ready for this. You know, and then um, in the second half, like we got on, and I remember the first thing that happened: Benny Elias come out of dummy half, and he was so crafty, Benny, and he's pulled out of dummy half. And I thought, oh, here's my chance, right? Everything is lined up. I had him, like, and he couldn't step inside, couldn't step outside, and I've lined up and I've aimed like right underneath his breast because I thought that's where you hit him, like right on the top of the sternum. You know, I'm going to crunch him. And as I've gone to hit him, Benny Elias has ducked. You know how he ducks and he can keep on running. So he's ducked. 
and I've just hit the cricket pitch because I've stopped and I've slid on the cricket pitch a bit like Strictly Ballroom and spun around because because I, <laughs> I because it, and just in slow motion, <laughs> Benny's running through this gap. So like, I went to kill him, which taught me a valuable lesson: just make your tackle. You know I mean? Yeah, big hits will come, so don't try to make things happen. But um, that wasn't a great night either. Gordy was certainly one of Australia's finest, no doubt. One of New Zealand's finest was featured in a Legend Series interview over two episodes, 36 and 37. The great one, the little general Stacey Jones. As a 19-year-old, which players did you look up to? Which players did you listen to? Who were the old hardheads that took you under their wing and looked after you? Um, yeah, I've always already mentioned Stephen Kearney. Yep. Um, you know, he's, he was a big part of that part. My career, Brandy, again, yep. I mentioned him um, at the Warriors, Dean Bell. Uh, you know, I was very fortunate enough to have, you know, some really good, strong leadership um, players that I played with. And um, in the Kiwis, Matthew Ridge was one, yeah. you know, you know, very strong um, personality. But, you know, I know Ridgie. How he um, played the game was very tough, but off the field, he he cared about you know his, his younger players. Did you enjoy the off the field elements of rugby league as a young bloke? The travel, the different countries, the different lifestyles. Yeah, I did, um, but I also um, you know when it was too long away from home, I I missed home. But look again, I I enjoy um, you know having a beer after the game. Yeah. Shared with the players going back to the hotel, um, you know, and having a bit. And you know, back in those days, you could enjoy it a lot more. There's yes. no social media, so um, we didn't have to worry too much. You know, guys sort of being young blokes and yep. making fools out of themselves. So, um, and, and that happened. But um, you know, I really enjoyed it, and I look back at it with, with some really good memories. And you know, we never did anything that was that was bad. We just you know, made fools out of ourselves yeah. sometimes. Your Kiwi debut, you replaced Gary Freeman as the national number seven. Huge boots to fill. The Wiz was a national hero. Was there pressure to perform immediately for you? Um, when I look back, I didn't feel it, you know, um, because I, I do remember clearly Frank Endicott and, and Matthew Richard Kaplan at the time saying, just go out there and enjoy yourself. and. Yep. Play your own game, so you know that obviously took a lot of pressure off me. But you know, it wasn't looking like it was going to last too long. We were playing Tonga, and we were down. I can't remember what we were down by. It might have been eight points with yeah. you know not long to go. So it was looking like it was going to be a disastrous uh, debut. But um, you know, again, I, I look back at that, and, and like I said, filling Gary Freeman's boots, yeah. who was a you know an idol of mine, you know, was something that you know I. I you know, didn't take for granted. I, you know, I knew that um, um, it was something that I, you know, um, you know, had to be gr- humble for. And yep. uh, yeah, look, I look back on it with some some good memories. The Legend Series podcast are the deep dives where we get to know the person behind the athlete. During the interview, we talk about them as a person as much as we do about what happened on the field. The Weekly Wodge is the fastest and coolest podcast there is. It's weekly, and in any one episode, you can hear up to a dozen players and coaches, both past and present. It's fast, not always just footy, and plenty, plenty of laughs. 
The Blasts are comparatively short interviews where we catch up with a superstar and chat footy or reflect on one of the moments in time that make up the wonderful history of our game. This is episode 124 and Clint Gutherson. Mate, let's wind back to your debut year, 2013. It was the 8th of September at Brookvale Oval. You were playing for Manly against Penrith and I reckon Jakey Travojevic may have debuted in the same game. How's your memory on that? Am I on the mark? Yep, yep, you're spot on as, as per usual. So the eighth, it was actually the day before my um, my twenty or my nineteenth birthday, actually. So I was eighteen at the time, so I get to say I debuted at eighteen, which uh, not many people sort of get to say. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to to debut with Jakey. We played all our junior footy together. Um, always versus each other. Howard Mats, SG Bore, um, under twenties, New South Wales Cup, and then. Um, yeah, that that game we sort of got lucky enough to be able to debut together, and um, look, it, it sort of was a pretty pretty special moment for both our families and uh, everyone involved that sort of got us through to, from the junior footy. So it was um, it's pretty special and one I'll never forget. A shit run of injuries early, mate. Um, in your late teens, knee and foot injuries saw you play five games in three seasons at Manly, then the move to Para. And everything changed literally immediately, didn't it? I mean, it was it was incredible. Yeah, as you said, I had a lot of a lot of early injuries, annoying injuries as a kid. Your your body just might not be up to it, or yep. or whatever it is. Just the the footy gods just didn't want me to be playing, and um, sort of just bummed around in the in the lower grades for a lot of time. There, got a few games, which at at the time I just thought I'll take what I can get and yeah. and see what happens with it. But then, uh, twenty fifteen, I, I did my knee. Uh, in round one and, and got a tap on the shoulder at the back end of that year that you sort of had to look elsewhere. And uh, lucky enough, I met up with Brad out at Parramatta and, and Foz and Chockey were, were going out there at, the, at that time as well. So that made my sort of decision a lot easier. And yep. yeah, as you said, things sort of changed pretty quickly overnight that I was that manly sort of as a kid, you think you're going to stay there forever. And um, yeah, then I ended up at the West and um, the rest is sort of history since then. From one eel to another. Yes, I'm an eels guy, so that's the reason I like them. But let's be honest, who doesn't like this bloke? Episodes 83 and 85, the legend Mick Cronin. 1981, you defeated Newtown. 1982, you defeated Manly. 1983, you defeated Manly. And you look at the score lines of the games and there, there wasn't many points scored compared to what we see no, now. Very different game. <laughs> Well, the game's different. I always remember once Manly Beaters, someone asked me a question, Manly Beaters twice in the in the semis, I think, both those years, by yep. a big margin. They said, how do you come back from that? I said, well, you look around the room. I said, you look around the room and I see Ray Price, yeah. Brett Kenny, Steve Ella, Sterling, um, Growth, and all that. I said, I always think we've got something in our favour. Yes. <laughs> I said, we weren't, we weren't foolproof. We can have a bad game, but yeah. you always knew that if all things are going fair, we're, we're going to be hard to beat. A wonderful era in rugby league, is, wasn't it, the early 80s, especially for yeah. us Parramatta tragics? Well, it is, but I mean, look, I'm a rugby, I'm a rug, rugby league tragic, so yeah. people say, oh, it's better than I said, look, I'd hate to think the people now weren't, in, weren't enjoying rugby league. Yep. I, I mean, I can find problems with the game in mm. some ways, but I mean, I still love the game. The fact I'm just finished coaching you yeah. suggests that. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors at Griffin Air Conditioning. Griffin Air Conditioning offers the highest quality of air conditioning sales and service across the Sydney metropolitan area. 
providing installation and maintenance to commercial, domestic and industrial customers. Working with this team, you'll be guaranteed the latest services, technology and developments in the industry, as well as dealing with some legendary blokes. Visit griffinair.com.au and tell them we sent you for a cool deal. That's griffinair.com.au. This guest is in my top five all time. Well incited, actually. The legend that is Laurie Daly. Well, fast forward to 1994. You'd win another premiership. It was your third. You remember this? Ferner it is now. Gets the pass away. It's a daily that capitalises. Runs through the gap. Over the 30. Support is coming. Daly. He won't need it. Daly. He scores. Daly puts it down. Third try. Uh, yeah, I can remember it. Um, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, uh, Fernsey sort of running to the line and then popping it back and um, just seeing some space and, and going for it. And I remember when I got into the clear, I thought, because I always had hamstring troubles and I never ever actually felt confident after I had those hamstrings to actually go flat out. Even though I might have looked like I was going, I always reckon I held something in reserve. And um, my hemi, my left hemi was the one that I had a lot of issues with. And I remember when I was running and I thought, I'm going to step him here. I'm going to step him back on the inside. And then I thought, oh, no, I won't. Something just took over me and I just sort of tried to run around him and, and get to the corner. Um, but I remember Scotty Wilson coming across and, and trying to tackle me and then sort of bouncing over and, and scoring. But uh, it's always special if you score a try in a big game. Um, and, you know, when you score from, you know, 50 metres, it's, 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 it's great as well. But... At the end of the day, you know, I think anyone would tell you, no matter what you do in a game, um, in, as an individual, it's 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 the result is all about is what you care about. Sorry, mm. and if you don't get the win, it doesn't matter whether you score three tries. It doesn't matter whether you've come up with seventy tackles. Um, you, you're gutted. You're disappointed. You know, you can get man of the match in a losing side, uh, but it just doesn't feel great. Um, you want to share that success with everyone, yeah. um, and, and that's how I felt. It, it's like you know that '89 Grand Final. I didn't have my best game in '89, but it's probably the greatest moment I've ever had as a club in, in a club team. With our first Grand Final, it was just—I don't think I could ever replicate the euphoria that I had after that game. All our Grand Final wins were different. '90 was a relief. '89 uh, was just pure exhilarated, just. How great is this? This is the best thing since sliced bread. And even 94 was was different as well. It just felt like, you know, it, it felt like we, we we would have had a bad year if we didn't win. That's what it felt like, 94. So it was more relief. Terrific storyteller, Loz. He was episode 60 and 61. He represented Australia 26 times. This guy represented Australia once. One of the all-time great debut stories as well. In 2004, our guest made his test debut in France following the Tri-Nations tournament. Matty Bowen, what do you remember of the moment you were told you were playing for Australia? Obviously, 
you know, that, that moment you got um, got told you putting that green and gold jersey on as a young kid, you always dreamt of doing that. Yeah. Um, but to do it over in France, um, it is something special. And as I said, I keep, you know, uh, something I won't forget. I think I've still got a jersey at home. And, um, you know, so I just, you know, chose that moment and um, I enjoyed that moment and it was pretty good. From memory, Wayne Bennett was the coach. Was he the one that told you? Yes, he was. Yeah, he was. Um, he was one. He, he was a coach in the 042 and um, yeah, they called me in and said that I was playing. I think um, Minnie was having a having a rest that weekend. Um, so, but to do that, mate, you know, with, with the caliber players you had around you, um, you know, it is something special and, and something that, that I don't take for granted. Maddie, do you get nervous before games, or were you nervous before this one? Yeah, I'll get, I'll, I do get nervous, mate, before games. But um, you know, you know, when you've done the, the hard work before it all week and doing all the little stuff that you um, require in a game, I was catching high balls, doing the little stuff, and just just going over that again. And um, so, yeah, it's a bit like anything. Mate. You get nervous for everything I do, and um, but for that, putting that green girl jersey on, it's. A little bit more than uh, usual, but um, saying that you got the amount of players you got around you, yeah, uh, the, the the caliber of players makes your job a lot easier as well. It didn't matter if it was the Cowboys, the Maroons, or the Kangaroos. How important was keeping game day routine, including your warm up, exactly the same for you, or didn't it matter, mate? I was, I think I'm, yeah, I kept it the same. I'm very game day. <laughs> My ritual is pretty same. Wow, um, but, you know. Whatever jersey I put on, uh, I have to put my right shoe on before my left. Um, I'm the last person to walk out of the shed, last person to walk onto the field. Um, so all that stuff, you know, it doesn't matter what team I played for, I'll, I'll still do it today. What do you recall of the test match? The toilets before it. There were no toilets. There was just the, <laughs> <laughs> there was just a hole in the ground, the pole, and oh no. Um, so mate, I. I I left it and waited till after the game and <laughs> go back to the hotel. <laughs> oh, so, you had to avoid any tackles right in the guts, obviously. But yeah, that's that's a, that's a, that's there. Yeah. So I didn't there. Yeah. Oh, mate, you could have well been the first Australian debutant in France to shit himself in the fifty-third minute. <laughs> Oh, that is a beauty. Matty Bowen, a test match on an outstanding resume. Thanks for dropping in and good luck with the Cowboys at Cowboy House. Thanks, mate. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. The variation of stories and topics has been awesome, like this little chat with one of the game's newest superstars, Titan and Marone, AJ Brimson. Dropping on into the weekly watch, a guy who can play a variety of positions but has certainly found his home at number one, Titans fullback AJ Brimson. If I had to ask you why fullback is the fit for you, what do you reckon would be the answer? Uh, I think to keep it simple, I just get to play play footy and run the ball. I don't have to worry about trying to organise too many things or orchestrate anything. I just kind of I like getting told um, the shape and, um, yeah, I just get to play eyes up footy. What position do you play the majority of your junior footy? Because you, you have been all over the park, basically. Yeah, um, I reckon I would have played up until I was. I haven't played. I only played fullback for the first time in um, under twenties. So wow, I was all in the halves. I was always in the halves as a six, always practicing kicking and that sort of stuff. And then due to a couple of injuries in twenties um, and depth of halves, I ended up 
Uh, ben Wolf put me back there for a couple of games. My first game was absolutely horrible. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know anything <laughs> about numbering. Uh, and it's been honestly the story of uh, my career. I, even in 2018, started off in the halves at, at Tweed, went back to fullback. Uh, he kind of, I had Ben Wolf again on the cup side and he just kind of realised I just need to run the footy. I didn't, yep. I didn't need to be stressing too much. And then debuted in the NRL as a half and then Michael Gordon got injured uh, that year and I played the last four games. 2019, started the year as a half, played a bit of 14, and then he got injured again, ended up playing fullback. And I think finally 2020, I got a pre-season at fullback, which is what I wanted. Yeah. And um, obviously, I only played half a year, but I felt really comfortable back there. You touched on it there. Probably the most important aspect of a fullback's play that doesn't get a lot of recognition in the media, you've got to be a real talker, and you're you're organising the defence. You're pointing numbers and, and tipping off. Got the dog going outside. Uh, it's a um, it's a massive job that I'm genuinely still learning. Um, okay. I've got I've got Jimmy Dimmick there, um, the defensive coach, and he, every day he's sending me video clips and he's he's you know spraying me if I need to get sprayed for <laughs> standing on a short side when I don't need to be there or getting yep. too many numbers to one side or vice versa. But um, there's so many little things that <clears throat> people would never notice when it comes to numbering and. Um, you know, just general support play and just all. Oh, there's a lot of little things that make a great fullback, which I obviously look at because when I watch the great Teddy, although Tedesco, Chawiwich, when I, when I watch, you know, I watch them when they do their numbering and that because that's on my mind, but no one else would ever really, um, you know, fans would ever really look at that sort of stuff. But there's a lot to learn back there and I'm, I'm still learning it. The new rules, fullback is covering so much more ground than ever it seems. Do you agree? Oh, yes. I, uh, my calf cramps agree with that. <laughs> is it just cardio, mate? Is it uh, Everyone's going to have to make adjustments to these new rules and faster games? Yeah, it's 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 going to be a very fast game, especially this year coming up. So uh, there's no more kicking out for a scrum. So it's just going to be, I think, the... The strongest and fittest team, will, I think, will be will go far. Thanks for dropping in, young fella. Always cool chatting footy with you. Cheers, mate. Appreciate it. Who's the best you've seen? Chances are he's already appeared on the podcast. For many, it's this guy. A three-part series, episodes 132, 133 and 134, The Natural, Brett Kenny. Mate. Post-footy, you'd learn illness and cancer doesn't care how old you are, who you are, or how good a footballer you were. You were diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2017. How hard was that news to hear? Yeah, it was tough, you know. Um, and, and the thing was, my um, my second wife, her son, so my stepson, yep. Riley, had, had um, broken his neck earlier on in the year and... Um, was at Westmead Hospital at the time, and um, yeah, it was it was pretty tough. My my daughter was pregnant, mm. her first child, and and um, I found out, you know, that I had this cancer, and 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 uh, obviously, like everyone, I guess, would be once you hear that c word, you think that's the end of your life, yep. and you're finished. And and um, you know, I'm I'm not embarrassed to say that you know that night after I'd been to the doctors, we were in a unit next next to um, Westmead Hospital, and um, and I cried. I you know yeah. I just laid in bed and cried, and and um, you know finally went off to sleep, and 
got up the next morning and, and I had an appointment to go and see the specialist and once I'd been to the specialist, um, I was fine. You know, she was very good at the way she explained it. Okay. Said to me, look, you know, what I've got is not the end of the world. Yep. 99.9% of people that have this survive and, and get through and, and live a long and normal life. And and um, But I had to go through all the chemo sessions and, and um, you know, that's when I started to lose my hair. But then yep. I started to look a little bit like Bruce Willis. So it didn't really matter. I uh, don't mind the bald look, mate. No. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> And um, it certainly shaves on the shampoo, you know. Yeah, it does. Um, and, and the brushes. And but um, yeah, it was it was a pretty tough time. Some stories are a little different, like this one—a story of a guy that would go on to win six premierships, but his footy career started in a very different manner. It's Kevy Walters. We have to delve into you being sent off as a kid for crying. Oh yeah, well that. <laughs> That was one of the. I'm a, I'm a bit of a sook. I've been known as a as a bit of a crybaby, emotional person, you know, all my life. So I, I'm pretty sure I was born crying. And most kids are, and, and I haven't sort of stopped since. There was a joke in the family house often that you know, even when we sit around and play board games and Monopoly and all that, if I couldn't throw a six, I'd start crying. You know, all this sort of stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, that that particular. I think I'm not under eights or under nines, and. Um, I was crying on the field because we were losing and the referee um, called Carrot out, who was the captain at the time, <laughs> and said, uh, listen here, Carrot, you've got to stop your brother from crying. He's annoying everyone. If he continues to cry again, we're going to have to send him off. <laughs> so <laughs> Carrot came over to me and said, what's the referee going on about? He said, oh, you're crying all the time. You've got to stop crying. Otherwise, he's going to send you off. So what did I do? I started crying. <laughs> <laughs> so he sent me off. <laughs> with tears and they thought, oh, jeez, oh, unbelievable. Anyway. We love us an old halfback, said respectfully, of course. Cheeky little buggers, wonderful storytellers. Here's another one of them, the great Craig Tugger Coleman. Rewinding back to 1982, mate, round 14 and round 22. Your first grade debut was from the interchange against Steve Mortimer. Your starting team debut was against Peter Sterling. What a start for a young halfback! Oh, to two legends. It's like yeah. they could both be immortals. You, know, you never know. Yeah, you know? like um, oh, my, my debut was the one Redfern Oval against the, the mighty Parramatta. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, the great. I I think Peter Sterling's the best player I've seen. Yep. You know, and uh, I don't think I. Get many people argue with me, and no. you know, even I'll agree. Even though we've seen lots and lots of great mm. players, you know, and you know, Joey's coming, you coming towards the end of my my career, but you know, Peter Sterling for me, and you know, that day they got away to a bit of a lead, and um, we uh, Gibson pulled off, he pulled off Cronin and um, and Ray Price, and we, we, we had a late spurt. Um, you know, Nathan Gibbs set up a try, then I, I set one up in the in, I an inside ball, Stan Brownie scoring in the post, and then and then. Tony Melrose missed a kick right next to the post. We would have won the game for us. So then we had to get down to the field and kick a field goal to win. And um, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was uh, at the Coliseum, Redfern Oval. Yeah, yeah the place to be Sunday afternoon. You now and some fantastic memories of, of that place. And um, you know, I spent my whole childhood there. What separated Sterlow from the rest, Tugger? I, I I just think he was he, he was the full package. You know, yep. where we you know, we had 
Turvey Mortimer, who, who, who was brilliantly fast, um, chip over the top, great cover defender. Yeah. Sterling had, a, I think, he was the best weather player I've seen. Yes. Um, you know, his tackling was unbelievable. His kicking game was a nine out of ten, and um, you know his, his leadership. You know, and, and and I think he showed his best when Parramatta weren't as good towards the end of his career. Then there's times we just don't talk footy at all. If you've got something of a personal nature in common with me, you've got massive issues. That's the bad news. The good news is you're probably a decent person and you probably love animals. Our guest certainly does. Like me, he's got two beautiful Labradors and is such a dog person, he's also got them their own Instagram page. Marty Tapau, did you make the mistake when we did, when the dogs were babies, of inviting them up onto the bed just for one cuddle because they're so cute. Oh gosh, it's the I, I regret that. Yep, because they pretty much own the bed, and I kid you not, we honestly have to vacuum the house and wash the sheets every second or third day because these kids, our fur babies, believe that they live here rent free. They they chew through everything like it's a toy for them. Whether it's a beautiful pair of heels or a nice uh, pair of pants, sure they believe it's a dog toy, so they just help themselves. And then, but you can't get angry at them, right? You open the door and they just come and smother you with kisses. So how can you? How can you get angry? I love it. We do work with Labrador Rescue. One of ours is a rescue. Is the most loving, gorgeous, calm, relaxed dog ever. However, the one we raised is a fucking lunatic, but a 12-year-old lunatic, so she gets away with it. Uh, I love keeping up on your two monsters and their journeys on Instagram. Good luck on the weekend, buddy. Thank you, and thanks for having me. You're listening to Andy Raymond Unfiltered. Want to be part of the team? We have both corporate and private sponsorship packages available. You set the terms. Check out the website at andyraymondunfiltered.com.au or send an email to Terry, that's with an I, at andyraymondunfiltered.com.au. Some footy talk, some laughs, some really, really odd stuff to listen to as well. Round 1 2019, St George Illawarra versus North Queensland in Townsville. Our guest copped one in the nuts, and that's the nice way of putting it. Tyson Frizzell has lobbed. Mate, what the hell happened? Yeah, it wasn't a great start to the year, um, 2019. Uh, yeah, it was just chasing chasing through and um, mm. was trying to trying to catch a ball and make a tackle, but at the same time, um, I think it was Jordan Carr who caught the ball and, and ducked down straight away and I collected his knee coming on the way through and, um, yeah, you can say it, it dropped me it dropped me pretty quickly and. Uh, it took a took a while to recover at the time. I, you know, didn't really know how far um, or how how good it got me. And yeah. it wasn't until the next the next stop in play um, after they scored a try, I realised the pain wasn't going away. You get that sick feeling in your belly. Any bloke would yeah. know you get that 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 little belly ache, and uh, you can probably times that by ten, and just wasn't going away. Oh. So. That night, or that during the game, went in the sheds and you know went straight to the hospital to get it checked out. And I've said it, it, it sort of grew to a small orange and went straight wow. into surgery. Went straight into surgery that night and and got it all sorted out. 
Mate, um, are you okay now? Yeah, mate. I've I've had um, I've had a kid since then, so yeah, good. Um, I'm all sorted now. Everything looks um, in tip top shape, so <laughs> there's no dramas, no dramas here. Which is, oh, I'm pretty lucky. Um, you know, I, I just wear I wear protection now, um, yep. just for my own sake. I've said, you know, in the past, you know, players wear mouth guards because they've been knocked in the teeth. Well, you know, I've been knocked in the ball, so I wear a, I wear a cup now, um, and. Yeah, I'm very lucky. I know some boys that um, have been have been knocked down there or had their um, testicles ruptured, and yep. you know complications do happen. And um, you know, like I said, I, I'm very lucky um, to be able to you know say I've got a kid now and everything's all right. It's not a knee, it's not a wrist or a shoulder. I mean, it's, it's a, a very different injury, and, and I guess at the time there's a whole lot of things going through your head. Pertaining just to day to day life, you're lying there looking down, and there's this bruising the size of an orange. And I mean, the first thing that you know would go through most blokes' mind would be, "What the hell happens here, and what does the future hold?" Yeah, it is. Um, it's a very common thing to 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 get knocked down there, but it's not very common to to rupture it. Um, yep. So at that point in time, I. No one really knew. Not many of the staff had been through um, an injury like that. And even when I came through recovery, it was sort of like, look, mate, I know this is a a lot of a mental side kind of thing, getting yourself yep. right um, than a physical thing. So, yeah, you know, all, all these kind of thoughts like, oh, am I going to be fine? Am I going to be yeah. able to, you know, have kids and all these other – because yeah, it's a lot of unknown, like I said, and um, – once I sat down and uh, got it checked out again after surgery and spoke with the specialist, um, I think I just needed to hear that to be able to clear my mind. Yep. And, and like I said, now I've got protection that you know I, I wear now, uh, even to this day. So uh, once I I got used to that, that was probably the weirdest thing to hear to get comfortable with. I, but I bet. Um, yeah, it's like I said, it's all sorted now. Once I got my head right. Um, the physical side was fine. There's a first for Andy Raymond Unfiltered. Two mates sitting down, talking <laughs> balls. Tyson Frizzell, delighted that you've uh, made a full recovery and really appreciate an insight on a pretty personal topic. Thanks for the chat, legend. We will do it again soon. Anytime, mate. And while we're on the Let's call it different. Here's Greg Bird with a beauty about his best mate, Paul Gallen. Right, Adam. So everyone knows Paul Gallen. Everyone knows Paul Gallen's career has been extended because he uh, he's now become a fighter. But it's more about that he likes money. It, uh, he loves his cash. Everyone knows Gal loves his cash. That's why he's fighting. Uh, but he loves his cash so much. We played a test uh, over in... Uh, it was 2010 over at Eden Park. We go out the captain's run um, day before the test. We're playing for Australia. It's not a little game. Um, and before in the sheds, um, he, was, he was rubbing Metzl, Metzl, DP'd on his legs. And uh, he almost missed the training session because I told him I'd give him $50, $50, uh, if he rubbed it from his gooch all the way up, his whole follow and his balls. Um, just before training um, and he said for 50 you do it I said right oh there you go here's a 50 
and uh, he just did it straight up. Thought it would was it wasn't going to be an issue. Um, we went out in the field and we were warming up, and Sheensy was asking, "Where's Gal?" I was like, "I don't know. No one knows." And we were warming up. We might have got just to the end of the warm up, and Gal came out of the field, <laughs> and uh, and. I couldn't believe that he didn't come, didn't turn up to the actual full training session because he was in there uh, putting ice on his, putting ice on his balls uh, because they were on fire, uh, and he almost missed the training session. I reckon Shiji, hopefully Shiji would have dropped him for the game, but uh, that was definitely uh, a great uh, example of Gal loving his cash. Oh, I love it. One of the early interviews, Legends Series, it really set the bar for talking footy, but talking footy with a difference. Really adding, I guess, that human touch, that human element to the guys we marvel at weekly. Episode 9 was Daily Cherry Evans. We've received as much feedback about this interview as any in the library. You said you've learned a lot about rugby league over the last few years as you mature on that natural curve. Have you also learned a lot about yourself as a man? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, when I talk about like that that friendship group that's not as big as people probably assume as um, an NRL player, you think, oh, everyone's going to be mates with him. He's got all this, you know, all these people hanging yeah. off. Well, for me, it doesn't work like that. It's actually become closer because. I found who's not in it for the joyride. I found it who's actually there because they care about if my head's all right, if mm. you know, if I hurt myself, if I'm genuinely okay. So um, that sort of weeding out process in life, not just in footy. Um, I do like the friends I've got. I do like the influence they hold on me and the opinions that we share and differ on. So um, that certainly come with learning and over time and certainly rugby leagues a massive part of my life and it's helped me mature in certain ways and picking my friendship group certainly, you know, been, been a process along the way. I've known you for 10 years and I'll admit I, I don't believe I do know the real Daily Cherry Evans but I know enough of him to know that he does hold back from the public and there's almost a reserved shy side amongst it. Yeah, it's... um. It's the opposite of who I am amongst my friends and family and stuff. So um, that's, yeah, it's weird. You know, I, I actually often am in interviews and stuff and, you know, a witty remark will come across and I'll just decline the opportunity to say it, you know, because <laughs> um, I do like to have fun. I do like to hang shit on people. Um, I love it when people give it back yeah. to me. That's that's enjoy. That's really enjoyable yep. for me, and it's a big part of rugby league behind the scenes for anyone that knows it. So that side of uh, me certainly hasn't become much of um, for the public to see. That's for sure. But I, I'd like to think that I'd like to have a, a pretty good time, and you know, I give as good as I get. That's for sure. As a footy tragic myself, I've loved this project, getting to sit down for hours with some of the game's finest and most celebrated players has been awesome. The stories coming to life, the stories from yesteryear being told firsthand. Love it. Here's a little bit from episodes 151, 152 and 153 with the icon, Bob McCarthy. That 70 grand final, John Bucknell wouldn't last a half time. Kicked, maimed, bashed and assaulted. (laughs) 
different game. Well, it was. Well, I, I got him uh, a good one because he jumped into me. He tried to knee me with his. With his he yep. tried to get me in the head with his knees, and he jumped up into me. And I thought, "Geez, I made it easy." And then I just got him in the air, and then I speared him into the ground. And he, I think I broke his shoulder, and yep. he he went off. And uh, and then but they they brought on a, another player who played for Australia, Alan Thompson. So yeah. he he was more as a better player as it was anyway. But Johnny. Uh, he made it easy for me by jumping in. He tried to get, he tried to get me too with his knees, and um, he made it easy by jumping into me because I took me the took me the, the trouble of picking him up, you know, and dumping him. We spoke earlier about constant rule changes in rugby league in 1967. It went from unlimited to four tackles. Just four years later, in 71, it went from four tackles to six tackles. Was it much of an adjustment? Yeah, oh, it wasn't as quick. It wasn't as quick. It was still. It was still. You know. Willy nilly, well, because we, we, we got brought up on throwing the ball around, you know, at yep. So it really, really didn't do much of us because we had we had two great wingers in um, Cleary and and um, well, Michael Cleary was the Australian sprint champion, yep. uh, over a hundred yards, and Brian James on the other wing, I think it was a North Sydney gift champion. So we had a couple of speeches, and Michael, Michael was the Australian hundred yard champion because the day he broke the record, the Australian hundred yard record, they went metric. So his record is still there now. He's Australia's 100-yard champion. Way before the 100 metres. Before the 100 metres come in. Wow. And then everyone thought that Ken Irvine was the fastest bloke because he held the world record over 60 metres. Yeah. But Mike Cleary raced him in 1963 at, at Wentworth Park for a £1,000. And Cleary beat him from me to you. Really? And no one seems that. You, what, you, you Google Cleary and Irvine in a sprint race, you'll see how far he beats him by. And I said to Michael before it, you reckon you'll beat him? He said, I beat him out. He said, I've got him. And Michael just practiced that, just getting out of the ruck, getting out of the, out of the blocks. And he got in front of him and he, he led him all the way and, and beat him. You, you have a look on you can, you can Google that. Can we go and take a peek at that as soon as we're done? And he, uh, after that, when 64 the next year, a bloke called Bobby Hayes yes. came out from America. He won the, he won the Olympic Games and he was yep. big, he was big guy, 15, 16 stone. He was band. He was bandy. I think he was band. No, he was pigeon toed. We said to Michael, "You can beat this bloke." He said, "Oh, he said I should." He said, "Cause uh, he said I think he's got something wrong with him sexually." <laughs> <laughs> and we said, "Okay." So we went out and we watched him, and he, he snacked Mike. He beat Michael by about ten meters. Really? Yeah. And then um, then we they found out that he, when he went and got checked out, he had some sort of disease with him that uh, you get when you have sex. Oh. Yeah, so we beat him with that. I don't know if I can use that on your program. Yeah, you know, we, we can, but we might leave it there. Oh, and I hope he's back in the States with his disease. Yeah, remember he went to he went to jail, didn't he? Billy, remember he's selling drugs over there and he, he, he was... It was, was a story too yeah, post-career, yeah, Bobby Hayes, yeah, then, then when he came out, remember they paraded him around one of those green font, what do they call, they call them? The, um, yeah, the Super, of, Super Bowl, yeah. yeah. They paraded him on the back of a car. It's a mixed reaction from what I remember. Yeah, well, yeah. A lot yeah. of people weren't overly yeah. thrilled with that. Yeah. Perhaps the most interesting interview, the most surprising one, was this one. I got the chance to sit down with an immortal and let him tell his story for you to enjoy. But what the hell do you ask an immortal? What do you talk about to an immortal? Well, yeah, it was footy, but it was also so much more than just that. Episodes 44, 46, 47, Mal Meninga, like you've never heard before. The eldest of four sons to Norman and Leona, as you said, of Australian South Sea Islander heritage, you traced 
the family lineage back to the island of Tanner in the Vanuatu Island Group and learned, and this is only a couple of years ago, that it was your great-grandfather Edward that sought passage to Australia over 130 years ago. You didn't know a whole lot about your family's history. How personally rewarding and beneficial was that? Having a look at the family tree. It, it was it was the best thing I've done in life, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, besides get married and have kids and, you know, um, all the sentimentality that comes around all that, but that was the best thing I've done personally in my life. Not only for me, but for my family. Um, there was always... You know, stories around, you know, blackbirding and, you know, the Kanakas, um, you know, taken off the island to work in the, the sugar industry of, of Queensland and northern New South Wales. Um, we never never quite understood um, why our great-grandfather, you know, chose to stay or how he, how he, how he, stood, how he stayed in, in Queensland because of the white Australia policy, you know, was rife at that time. Uh, so, yeah, so that that journey for me and, and for my family and not just in my greater family it just wasn't you know the three bros and um and but it, all my cousins you know we've got plenty of those those people hanging around on this earth as well so uh for me it was yeah it was a, the greatest journey because we we finally understood you know how did mary ellen kelly come into our lives you know a white irish woman um why did you know great grandfather was it because of the white australia policy was it because um, he had to marry a white person to, to stay here, you know. Um, we, and through that journey, we found out all the all the the answers to those questions. So what we did understand is that he jumped off the rocks at you know South Tanner Island, um, swam out to the Roderick Drew do for better life. And that was his motivations. He jumped off there. He wasn't black birded. Um, he wasn't coerced. Um, he, it was his decision to jump off the rocks. And um, and we also found he, you know, he obviously made his way to Meriburra, and then he was, you know, cutting, cutting a cane cutter around that region yeah. for a number of years. Um, found his way up to Mariba as well, and eventually we found found out that, and the way we, we tracked this, Andy, was quite remarkable, because the number on the Roderick Do right was the number four. So that's how we traced his number uh, wow. from Tanner Island, South Tanner Island to Queensland and all the, the areas that he worked in by the number four. Wow. So, you know, I mean, ironically, I mean, that, that that touched my heart because, you know, when you look at origin footy, like I'm number four. Yeah. I'm the Queensland yeah. of, of all time, you know. So, um, so that was fantastic. And this is just scratching the surface, a potpourri of rugby league greatness all thrown into your ears. I've loved putting this together and I'll do it again and shortly because there's just so many interviews and so many superstars to hear from with amazing stories to tell. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. That way you won't miss a thing. Before you go, we'd love a review and a rating. Five stars, of course, in particular if you're on Apple Podcasts. It helps us spread the word as we look to expand the unfiltered brand. 200 episodes. That's just the best of, or our selection of the best of anyway. Once again, thanks for your support over the first 200. Exciting times ahead. Make sure you come back soon, legends. Legends.